Welcome to High Cheese. It's Friday, November 10th, 2023. And let's take a look at this week's elections. And the Republicans did not have a good week. Now, in Virginia, the Dems took control of the state assembly. And this was important to Governor Yunkin and the donor class because Yunkin's name has been bandied about as a potential candidate to run against Donald Trump. Now, Ron DeSantis has turned into a disaster, and there's been no real alternate candidate that the donor class wanted. And they were looking toward Yunkin to possibly be that person to take on Donald Trump in the Republican primary. But he had to have a good week this week. And he didn't. He lost the state assembly to the Democrats flipped and then in new jersey the dems retained control of both the house and the state assembly now i think they picked up five additional seats in the assembly what you have to understand is that new jersey's a blue state virginia's a blue state democrats outnumber republicans by a million voters in new jersey and virginia is one of the most liberal states in the union then in Kentucky, incumbent Democrat Governor Andy Bashir uh, beat the Republican candidate Cameron. And the interesting thing I want to talk about is that what's going on here at the state levels? And these are generally elections that are run in part by the RNC. You've got Donald Trump, the leader of the Republican Party, doing extremely well in the polls. He's beating Joe Biden in the polls. He's crushing Joe Biden in the swing states. And how does that not parlay into at least some victories in New Jersey, Virginia, Kentucky? And I blame the RNC for this because the RNC is weak. The RNC, they love to go to, through the motions. They love to take money from the donors and really not do much with it. Just pay for the consultants. They don't have the fire in the belly that the DNC has. They don't have a fire in the belly that Donald Trump has, that MAGA has. You know, these are still all the country club Republicans. Oh, let's not upset the apple cart. I got mine. Let's just go along to keep our own power. And I think that's the problem right now. Now, I would be concerned about it, but I'm not. Because in 2024, you're probably going to have a drop-off in rhinos voting for Donald Trump. But he's going to make that up by having new voters come in. He's reached out to Hispanics, African-Americans, women. All the polls say that he is doing exceptionally well with African-Americans and Hispanics at the very least. And people love to say that, oh, Donald Trump doesn't do well with women. He does well enough right now. But right now we have a semi-fractured uh, Republican Party. MAGA's taking over the Republican Party, and the rhinos don't like it. And they're either going to walk in 2024 or vote for Donald Trump. But my assessment right now is that you're going to have a number of people that are rhinos just walk against Donald Trump. We're not vote. But he's going to make up for that by bringing in new Republicans that reflect this country. Now, we're already seeing the genesis of this with this No Labels Party. Now, I guess it was a month or two ago that Mitt Romney 
said he wasn't going to run again. He was going to pursue other things. And then we had Joe Manchin this week say he's not going to run for the Senate because he wants to pursue other things. Now, the other things that they're looking to do, particularly Mitt Romney, because he hates Donald Trump so much, is that they're thinking about putting up no-label presidential candidates. And this is where rhinos can land, at least in Mitt Romney's mind. And it's all about taking electoral votes away from Donald Trump. Now, I'm sure in the back of Mitt Romney's mind, he's thinking about becoming the presidential candidate for this no-labels party. And he thinks he can take votes away from Donald Trump in Utah, maybe even Michigan, enough that it hurts Donald Trump's chances in the electoral college. But that's all it's about with Mitt Romney and these rhinos. It's all about being vindictive. It's all about not realizing that they've lost the Republican Party. So they either get on board, leave, and they're not going to fight back. I don't think they're not, they don't have enough guts to fight back. But what to try to do is try to just pick and choose like Utah, just put enough effort in just to hurt Donald Trump. That's what, that's the only thing that guys like Mitt Romney's and, and these rhinos are interested in. Another thing I want to talk about is what are the Republicans doing on this abortion issue? I mean, there's the basic cornerstone of running a good campaign is not to let your opponent define you. And this is what the Democrats did. They defined the Republican candidates. And this takes us to Ohio. What happened with Ohio when the voters codified in its constitution the right to an abortion? And the Republicans just can't run away from this issue. They've got to define what they are all about regarding abortion. So every time they, uh, the Democrats say, oh, you're, you're taking away a, a woman's right to an abortion, they're all going to wind up dead. Well, where are the Republicans that are turning around and saying, hey, wait a second, pal, you want late-term abortions. But they're silent on this. Well, how about defining that an abortion is really a bad medical procedure? How about that? Why don't you talk about that? Well, why don't you reach out to African-Americans and tell them that a vast, higher proportion of African-American babies are aborted? Why are you silent on this? Again, this all comes down to the RNC. They don't know what they're doing on this issue. And the problem is, is that the RNC is run, still run by people that don't like MAGA. They don't like the Trump voter. They still look down on the working class. They still look down on Hispanics. They still look down on African-Americans. And that's why they're losing on this issue, because they don't have the guts. MAGA has the guts. Donald Trump has the guts to talk about these issues. And rhinos would just wish the abortion issue away, and you can't do it. It's not going to happen. So we shall see.
And that was from a speaker at, I think it was at the Washington rally, the pro-Palestinian Washington rally, where there were tens of thousands of people showed up. And listen to the words that she's saying. The Western world is corrupt or something along those lines. And you know what she's, you know what she means? The Judeo-Christian world is corrupt. And then she goes on to say that they're going to have Nuremberg-type trials. We're like Nazis. And you know how they're going to conduct these trials if you allow them? Through Sharia law. These are radical Muslims, Americans. And I just find it shocking today. I just find it so shocking today that there are so so many anti-Semites that are rearing their head in this country on all levels of society, at all levels of our institutions, schools, government. Because here's the problem that's been happening over the past number of years. These progressives, these leftists that have been in control of key areas of this country have taken away the expectation that the United States has for incoming immigrants to assimilate to our culture, the American culture, the Judeo-Christian culture. I'm not saying all legal immigrants have failed to assimilate into our culture. Like, for example, many of the legal immigrants from South America find it much easier to assimilate and want to assimilate into this culture. But there are some cultures that don't want to. Instead of assimilating into our Judeo-Christian Western culture, they want to come here and change our culture into their culture. They want to bring their ancient hatreds, their ancient ways, and force the United States into their way. And a lot of this has been by design by a lot of people that have been in power because they want chaos in this country. They want to slowly bring this country down by any means necessary. And if it's to foster anti-Semitism, if that's a tool to disrupt this country, they'll do it. And it's just not about the Jews. It's about us. Israel's the little Satan. The United States is the great Satan. But this is what happens when you have a country where there are no expectations of new immigrants to assimilate. That's always been the cornerstone of immigration in this country. That's what's made this country great. But the progressives, the leftists in this country, those that hate this country, we have to adapt to their way. And the ironic thing, their way is the end of you. It's the end of the Jews. It's just shocking, this anti-Semitism. And we have elected officials. They're just shameless about this. They're just shameless about pr- promoting chaos. Now, I've got a report here that uh, Dick Durbin, senator from Illinois, Pramila Jayapal from Washington, a congresswoman, and Jan Schakowsky, a congressperson from Illinois, They're working and trying to provide temporary protective status and deferred enforcement departure status to Palestinians. So, for example, a lot of these people that showed up at these rallies are students, and they're here on student visas. And Durbin, Jayapal, Schakowsky, they want to pass legislation that protects these people. They can't be deported. Well, at the same time, there's a a movement to bring Palestinian refugees into this country. And I'm assuming they're going to be given protective status. 
Think about that. We're going to be importing hatred because you have to understand that these refugees, they voted for Hamas. They voted for this death and destruction and these elected officials in government. And I'm sure there's plenty of bureaucrats behind the scene that support this. They want to bring more chaos into this country. And if you're a Jew in this country, how are you supposed to feel when elected officials in your government, when bureaucrats in your government are doing this? You're importing people that want to kill the Jew. It's absolutely terrible. And at the same time, we have a sitting member of Congress, uh, Talib, who's been censured by Congress for her anti-Semite statements from the river to the sea. And then she was promoting this misinformation on Israel firing a rocket into a Palestinian hospital when it wasn't true. And even when she found out it wasn't true, she kept up the post. She failed to denounce the misinformation. She kept on pushing it. And with that said, I want to go to a clip during the uh, censure debate. It's with Chip Roy. And he sums up uh, what a rational person thinks of what Talib did. So let's go to the clip and then we'll come back and discuss. And I certainly wish to always stand aside the protection of free speech in this country. But this goes well beyond that because we're not talking about restraining the gentleladies from Michigan's ability to speak. As an American citizen, we're not talking about punishing her, putting her in jail. What we're talking about is whether a member of the United States House of Representatives, whether a member of this body representing this nation is justified in putting forward a defense of the actions of Hamas terrorists that murdered innocent Israeli citizens is holding United States citizens and Israelis hostage and in her own language was defending on October 8th, a mere 24 hours into the brutal and barbaric attacks in which babies were beheaded Babies were placed into ovens, literally. Moms were raped in a house while their babies were put in an oven. A documented account, video evidence. And this is dismissed as resistance to an apartheid state. My my problem is, the gentlelady has put forward that by virtue of the United States of America funding in solidarity the people of Israel in defense of their right to exist, that by virtue of our position as Americans, standing in front of that flag in this chamber representing 330 million Americans, that by funding and supporting Israel, we are somehow perpetuating the call for violence that we saw unfold right before our eyes on October 7th in the most brutal and heinous acts that some of us have ever seen. The gentlelady cannot, as a member of Congress, be standing up and telling the world that what we saw unfold in attacking Israel is justified. We can't. And I want to thank Chip Roy for the clarity. 
Now, we've got the world on fire. The world is absolutely on fire. And what is the FBI doing with their resources? They're still going after J6ers. And with that said, I want to go to another clip. It's uh, about an FBI SWAT team on hunt for a retired military MP. Apparently, he was on tape spraying pepper spray in the direction of Capitol Police. And now there's a manhunt for him. We've got the world on fire, and this is what the FBI wants to do. This is where the FBI resources are directed. Not at the terrorists coming through the border. Not at the anti-Semitism. Not at people calling for jihad. But a former member of the military police. And when, when was J6? Over two years ago. And with that said, I want to go to a clip. I think the local CBS had covered this. And uh, let me just go to the clip. And then we'll come back and discuss. Enforcement officials have swarmed a location that's in Middlesex County. And they're searching for a man wanting a connection to the January 6th attack at the U.S. Capitol. Tom Zwire in Chopper 4, as you see live over the scene. Tom, what can you tell us about this? All right, as you mentioned, uh, Adam, they, the FBI was executing a warrant here, 131 Main Street in Helmeda, New Jersey, earlier this morning. Now, they're looking for uh, Gregory Yetman, who was involved in the January 6th incident at the Capitol. He fled the area. They were searching uh, this uh, this home earlier this morning. We have video of that that was shot earlier this morning where there were it was an intense search, not just of this building, the main building, but also uh, the, some of the sheds out in the back, so they were really patrolling the whole property looking for the suspect. So apparently the local CBS affiliate was tipped off by the FBI about the raid. And they got their helicopters up in the air, and and they're showing the SWAT team out there, kicking down doors, looking for Gregory Yetman. And to me, all this is is a dog and pony show by Chris Ray just to let his masters know that he's still pursuing what Washington wants at the expense of the rest of America. So we shall see. Okay, I want to switch to our debt. And I think it was reported in Bloomberg earlier this week that the interest on our debt is now around $1 trillion. And let me put that into perspective. Our annual defense budget is a little under $1 trillion. And the projections that many economists are making is that if this continues, interest on the federal budget's debt will be 50% of the entire budget. Half of your budget in the near future will go to debt just to service the debt. And this is debt that your kids are going to have to pay, your grandkids are going to have to pay, their grandkids. Washington is sticking them with a big bill. And sticking you too. But there's an ethical issue about this, about making your grandkids, your grandkids pay for wanton spending in Washington. And it's got to stop. It's going to continue to put pressure on inflation. It's going to continue to diminish the resources we have in Washington to budget for things that we really need. And it's just a dangerous scenario financially that we're in. The economy right now is just teetering. 
Right now, it's all about what the consumers are going to do. And a new report just came out and said that credit card debt in the United States is, has exceeded $1 trillion. Credit card debt. And that's not sustainable. The economy is made up about 70% of consumers. And they've been putting everything on their credit cards because they can't afford inflation. And they've been taking second jobs, but something's got to give. And once the consumers stop spending, which it looks like they're likely going to do sooner rather than later, this economy has huge problems. Now, it really has huge problems anyway. I mean, you've got these knuckleheads down in Washington telling them, oh, the economy's great. Meanwhile, people can't afford a loaf of bread. And they're trying to fool you into thinking that an unaffordable house, an unaffordable car, unaffordable food, is, oh, it's all part of a good economy. So the clock is ticking on this economy. Clock is ticking on Washington. There's so much going on. Just pray for this country. With the right people in place, it can be fixed. Pray that the right people get in office. So we shall see. So let's talk about some good news. The Minnesota Supreme Court came out this week and said that you can't take Trump off the Minnesota presidential ballot. Now, these leftist lawyers had come in and petitioned the Supreme Court in Minnesota and said that, well, we want you to take uh, Trump off the ballot because uh, the Constitution says that if you're engaged in an insurrection, that you can't run for president. The only problem is Trump's never been charged with being an insurrectionist. And second of all, the Minnesota State Supreme Court said that, well, there's nothing in Minnesota statute that would allow us to take Trump off the ballot. I think under any circumstances. So that's good news. Now, we still have the Colorado case with that crazy leftist Colorado judge that's likely to rule to take Trump off the Colorado ballot next year. And I think she's supposed to have a decision by November 17th which is a week from today. And like I said in my last episode, be be prepared. I think she's going to rule to prevent Trump from being placed on the Colorado ballot. But that's going to meander through the court system. Likely wind up in the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court's just not going to allow Trump to be taken off the Colorado ballot next year. Oh, and while we're on the subject of judges, did you see that photo? Of the naked torso of the judge in New York that's trying to take away Trump's business. It's a hairless torso of an emaciated man. Seems to be proud of it. Took a photo of it. Posted it, I think, on social media. Just a creepy, creepy guy this is. But this is what we have in our judicial system. Just a bunch of creepy communists. So we shall see. Okay, I got some more good news. Um, I think I reported last week that the House Oversight Committee was going to subpoena Hunter Biden and James Biden, which they did formally. And along with uh, Hunter and James, the committee is also going to subpoena Rob Walker, who I think is a business associate. Now, along with these subpoenas, Biden family members and their associates are requested to appear for transcribed interviews. And this includes Sarah Biden, Haley Biden, Elizabeth Secundi, Melissa Cohen, and Tony Bobolinsky. Now, it's also been reported that 
the owner of the art gallery that sold Hunter Biden's famous paintings, has also been subpoenaed. And they want to find out who bought Hunter's, that great artist. Well, who bought his paintings? Now, Comer has also come out and said that he plans on subpoenaing President Joe Biden's bank records, and he intends to subpoena Joe Biden. So that's good news, and we shall see. Okay, let's take a look at some polls. And this is from Real Clear Politics. Uh, and they came out today. And let's take a look at Georgia. And this is a Bloomberg morning consult poll. And it has Trump up seven in Georgia. Let's take a look at Pennsylvania, Trump v. Biden. Another Bloomberg morning consult poll. And has Trump plus three. Wisconsin, Bloomberg morning consult. Trump plus one. Let's take a look at Nevada, Trump v. Biden, Bloomberg morning consult, Trump plus three. Arizona, Trump v. Biden, Bloomberg morning consult, Trump plus four. Ohio, Trump v. Biden, data for progress, Trump plus eight. Let's take a look at some polls that came out yesterday, Thursday, November 9th. Georgia, Trump v. Biden. And this is an Emerson poll, Trump plus eight. Pennsylvania, Trump v. Biden. Emerson poll, Trump plus four. Wisconsin, Trump v. Biden. Tie. That's an Emerson poll. Nevada, Trump v. Biden. Trump plus three. Arizona, Trump v. Biden. And it's an Emerson poll, Trump plus two. This is good news because most of the states that I mentioned are swing states, and they're states that Trump lost in 2020. And again, this is good news. And I just want to leave us with an article from the New York Post, which shows us how dangerous the current medical system here in the United States is. So let me go to the article. Again, it's from the New York Post. And the headline says, jurors in the $220 million take care of Maya case find hospital liable for malpractice. A Florida jury found Johns Hopkins All Children's Hospital liable for several offenses in the case, which was featured in a Netflix documentary, Take Care of Maya. Now 17, Maya Kowalski gripped the cross, and was overcome with emotion as the stunning verdict was announced in a tense St. Peter's courtroom. Kowalski's mother had admitted the then 10-year-old girl to the facility in 2015, telling doctors she was suffering from a chronic pain condition that required risky ketamine treatments. Skeptical about Beta Kowalski's demands and the severity of Meyer's condition, Staffers contacted Florida's child welfare authorities. Maya was soon removed from her parents' care and made an involuntary medical ward of the state. So what happened? You had a sick child come in. The mother goes to this hospital and admits her 10-year-old daughter to the facility. But the staff, the facility, and the doctors didn't like the treatment that the mother was getting for her daughter. 
So what did they do? They contacted Florida's Child Welfare Authority and had the child taken away from her mother. So after being barred from seeing Maya for 85 days and facing child abuse allegations, the mother, Beta Kowalski, committed suicide in the garage of her family home, contending that the hospital wrongly committed Maya and cruelly separated her from her mother. The Kowalski family sued the facility for $220 million. Maya told jurors that hospital staffers were dismissive of her condition and believed that her mother was suffering from Munchausen by proxy syndrome, where caregivers contrive or exaggerate a child's ailment for attention. And the hospital's attorneys argued that hospital staffers took drastic measures because they felt that Kowalski's mother was endangering her with the ketamine treatments. So you see a theme here? Medical profession doesn't like the medical decisions for your daughter. Oh, we're going to take your daughter away from you. Your daughters aren't vaxxed. We're not going to provide medical services for your kid. This is where we are with the medical profession today. It's politicized. It's overly bureaucratic. And I'm so happy that this decision was made by the jury. So with that said, thank you very much for listening. You have a good week, and I will talk to you next Saturday.